0: Well, I know a man. Maybe you know him too. You never can tell he might even be one of you. He knelt at the altar, he became a Christian, and that was the end. He's saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, well, it can't take too much. And one day a week, he has a spiritual lunch. He goes to church. On Sunday... He puts on his spiritual best and gives his language, his swearing, his gossiping, his, his grumbling a spiritual rest. He is just a fat, fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine will leave him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions, well, they're kind of stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible, backwards and forwards. And John 3.16, he can recite that. He's got the biggest King James. He's got the biggest Bible app on his phone that you have ever seen. Well, I've always wondered if he'd grow up someday. He's mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him, I said, he'll never grow if he never gets fed. He's just... Fat, 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 little baby. Now, these are words penned by an American Christian songwriter called Amy Grant in 1982, long, long time ago. And she's writing about a group of people who are Christians but barely Christians. They're Christians, but they haven't changed since they first became Christians. They just, they just go to church. They get fat on religion. But they never apply, they never grow in their understanding of God. They never apply that that understanding to the the way that they feel and the way that they act. And their relationship with God is pretty much the same as it was when they first became a Christian, years, decades ago even. They're just fat babies. And today in Philippians, Paul tells the Philippians, and God tells us, we can't be like those fat babies. We need to be Christians who are growing. Now, to understand this properly, we have to sort of do a bit of a uh, preview. In the last three weeks, hopefully, you'll have heard a lot about Philippians and you would have known that Philippi Philippi is a place where a lot of ro- foreigners became Roman soldiers, and then they became Roman citizens as a result. And they got, this, they got land allotments in Philippi. And as a result, they went there and they acted like Roman citizens because that's who they are. And it's into this context that Paul writes to the Christians, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And two weeks ago, we heard that that actually just means conduct yourself as a citizen Of the gospel, not as a citizen of Rome, although you are, but a citizen of the gospel, a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of heaven. Conduct yourself in that way. And don't just do it alone, but rather do it together. He continues Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith in the gospel. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel as a citizen of God's kingdom, and do it together with your friends. And that's the backdrop, that's the underlying thread of the whole of Philippines. Now last week they were were supposed to do this as they looked out for each other's needs and they humbled themselves. And they could do this because, first of all, they were so loved by God, they were so blessed by God, they were so rich, they were overflowing with love, they could actually afford to love other people. But they were also told that Jesus Christ, in the very nature God, came down, humbled himself as a man and even died on the cross for them. So how could they and how dare we anything less than humble ourselves for the good of each other so that was one way they're going to be contending as one man now today in the second half of chapter two we're going to see three big things that the philippians are called to do and we are called to do and the first one is to work out work out grow second one shine in this dark world and lastly he gives them an example of how to do this or what's been done so let's look at each in turn uh, first one is to work out. And we see this in verses 11 through to 13. So come with me to Ephesians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The first thing he says is that these guys, you need to work out, you need to grow. You need to grow as Christians. You can't be like those fat babies who are just forever fat babies. And being a Christian is like just being a human, right? You grow. Uh, Many of you have met my youngest uh, daughter, Elise, uh, and if you go and ask her on a good day, and this morning she didn't do it actually, but if you ask her on a good day, how old are you? she'll say, I'm two and a half. And say, oh, that's pretty good, you know, kind of counting fractions. And if you look at her around the hall, you'll see her walking around, and she doesn't bump into too many things and make too much of a mess. And when you see her eat, just grabbing stuff from the table and shoving them out, she doesn't make too much of a mess on her, her clothing on the floor. You think, that's pretty good. But it'd be really weird, wouldn't it, if you came up to me in the hall and said, Tom, how old are you? And I said, oh, I'm 46 and a half. They go, oh, that's very good. You can count in fractions. And also, you can walk around the hall without knocking stuff over. And also, on top of that, when you eat, you don't make too much of a mess on your clothes or on the floor. That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Because when we're babies, we're supposed to act a certain way. But when we're adults, we're supposed to act in other ways. We're supposed to act grown up. And so too with these guys. And these guys in in Philippian church They're already doing this. He's not rebuking them. He's saying, you are growing already, but I want you to grow more and more. It's just like in chapter 1. This is my prayer that your love abound. You already have love, but I want you to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. These guys are growing, and they're supposed to grow more. In Hebrews, uh, the author tells those Christians, you know what? You guys aren't even growing. You guys have stalled. You guys are babies. You're drinking milk when you should be on solid food, when you should be on meat. He he says to those guys, you know what, you're at Tetsuya's, you're at a Michelin star restaurant, you're at a hatted restaurant, you know what you're doing? You're pulling out your phones, you're Ubering a meal, and the Uber meal is from Psycho Chicken. (laughs) Uh, uh, Nothing wrong with Psycho Chicken, and we encourage you to go patron them if you've got time. But if you're in a hatted restaurant, you're not going to Uber a chicken burger from Psycho Chicken. You'll be on the good stuff, Right? And in Hebrews, the same deal. They were drinking milk and they've been Christians for a long time. They should be on solid food. They haven't grown. And the encouragement for them and the encouragement for us today is as people, as Christians, we need to be growing. Which then begs the question, isn't it? Have you and have I grown in the last how many years we've been a Christian? One year, five years, 50 years even? Have we actually more like Christ now than we were back then? Are we understanding more about God and His will and His personality? Are we actually feeling the things that God wants us to feel when He sees injustice, when he sees, when he sees sin? Are we actually, is it transforming the way we spend our time, the way we use our money, the way we put ourselves out for people? Or are we still kind of like back there somewhere when we first became Christians or when we were young Christians? Paul says, God says, that cannot be the case. You need to be doing this more and more, growing and growing and growing. The Christian life is just like the human life. You cannot stall. You have to keep growing. Now, as we were reading this, I'm sure you probably read something. It sounded a bit weird because it said, you know, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it's, well, what's going on here? Is he saying that we're supposed to be working so that God will like us, God will bless us? Now, if you're visiting church, and this is one of your first times at church, uh, welcome to church. It's so good that you're here. and so good you decide to check this church thing out. A lot of times in the world, uh, we actually... Here, that the church is here to help you be a better person, and if you're a better person and if you do good things, then God will somehow bless you in this life, and when you die, you go to heaven. And verses like this sometimes are misread to say that. But if we look at these verses, it doesn't say work for your salvation, be good enough, and God will bless you and God will bring you to heaven. It says work out your salvation. You already Christians have already know God's love, know God's forgiveness. And as a result, and they know that God's wise and powerful, and we actually want to live his way because it's the best way. And we want to love him because he loves us so much. And we want to love other people because he said, you know what, I love them as well. I want your heart to be like mine and love them as well. And so it says, work out your salvation. And we're supposed to be doing it with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Well, because at the end of the day, it's God who works in us to change us, to make us grow as Christians. Now, you're sort of sitting there thinking, wait a minute, didn't didn't the first part of the verse, didn't you just say that we're supposed to be working hard at it ourselves? And yes, we are. But also, simultaneous to this, it's God who works in us to bring about that growth, to bring about that change. Now, I don't know if you remember last week, we got some dodgy maths. We said that the Trinity was 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equals 1 God. Well, here's another bit of dodgy maths. The effect, the, the way that we grow and change as a Christian is 100% our work and also 100% God's work. 100% us and 100% God, and that's how we grow, that's how we change. Now, how does that, how does that work? Well, because if, it doesn't make good maths, but it actually makes sense in the Bible. Because look what happens if it's 100% us. If it's 100% us, what will happen is we will work hard, we'll work hard, we'll work hard to grow and change. And when we fail, we'll be crushed. And we'll think we're not good enough for God that Jesus' death wasn't good enough for us, that somehow we need more, we'll be crushed. Or conversely, we will succeed, and we'll change and we'll grow, and then we'll get full of pride. think, I achieved that. I'm so good. And on top of that, we'll look around the hall today and we'll say, hmm, I've done it. I've been my sins. Look at all those other naughty people in this room who can't beat their sins. Aren't I so good? That's what happens if it's 100% us. But if it's 100% God what will happen then is we'll say, you know what? I'm not going to do anything with my life. I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to think about anything. I'm not going to pray for anything. God's going to take care of it. So kick in, Holy Spirit. I'll just sit around and wait for you to act. And that will happen if we say it's 100% thank God. Uh, if you want to Google the fancy names for this, it's legalism and antinomalism. But just, it's, it's just a way to remind us that we have to work hard. But also, at the end of the day, it's God who works in us. And some of you sitting there thinking, well, why don't you just say 50-50? Well, <laughs> Well, you and I are just too sinful to know where that 50 is. And so the same thing will happen. We will think we've done uh, 50 and wait for the Holy Spirit, or we'll assume the Holy Spirit's done his bit, and then we'll feel crushed or we'll feel pride. So it's 100-100 to grow. Now Paul starts off here by saying, you know what? As Christians, you need to grow. And the question for them and the question for us is, are we growing? Are we growing? with, with Just working things up, hard work on our end. Are we growing, trusting in God's work in us as well? Because we need to be okay second thing he does is he says you know what you need to as you're growing you're going to shine you're going to shine like stars and and how are you to shine uh, are we to shine by achieving everything in the 2020 vision you know be a part of a community have all the nations inside here uh, have a church of a uh, thousand two thousand ten thousand uh, 10,000. hold a massive evangelistic rally in chatswood well those things are fantastic if it happens to us praise god are we to shine by saying, we're going to really achieve in our careers. We're going, to, we're going to start off and we're going to build to the next level, be a manager, be a partner, be a consultant in our hospitals, be a headmistress. Are we supposed to build up? And as a result, when we get it, be prime minister even, and say, hey, I'm a Christian, and shine for God there. Well, some of us will be, some of us won't. And praise God if it happens. But look at what Paul says about shining as a Christian. This is one of the key ways we shine as a Christian. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. How are we to shine? What's one of the key ways that we're to shine? we shine by not grumbling and not arguing with each other. I'm going to focus on the grumbling part this morning. Now when you hear that, when you read that verse, you thought, yeah, you know, 2020 vision, evangelizing the whole of Brazil and beyond. That's 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 something to strive for. You know, doing well in my life and my career, something to strive for and shining, but not grumbling, is that 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 doesn't sound too hard. Okay, well let me run the same experiment with you that I did myself. I try and Think about this week and how many times you've actually grumbled just this week, whether it was in the traffic, being cut off or in a traffic jam, whether it's something more serious, maybe your health, or maybe your relationship with other people, or maybe the way that your kids or your husband or your wife are acting and treating you, how many times you've grumbled at that? Uh, And some of you in this room, I'm sure you're grumbling because Billy Slater is actually playing in the final tonight. Uh, How many times have you grumbled just this week? And so I think, okay, okay. And how many times? This morning, just getting your kids to church. How many times? Ah, oh, put on your shoes, put on your, get in the car. How many times have you grumbled? Lots, right? So not grumbling is not that easy. But then, of course, on the flip side, I say, well, so what? Grumbling, who cares, right? Everyone grumbles, you know. The whole country grumbles. I grumble. All my church members grumble. And yeah, we do. But does that make it okay? Well, there's an American pastor, his name is Jerry Bridges and he wrote a book called The Respectable Sins. Who's actually read this? No one. Oh, you need to go read this, yeah. It's a good book. Um, it's, it, the title's a bit funny, right? It sounds like, oh, there are some sins which are respectable. And He's not saying that. He's actually saying there's a whole bunch of sins that in the first world we actually take for granted and we don't find them despicable. And one of them is discontentment or grumbling. Right? We even have a category for this thing. It's a joke, right? We call it first world problems. Yeah? So we grumble about stuff all the time, and he says, you know what? It's not okay to grumble, It's not okay to be discontent. Why? Because God says, "I actually love you and look after all your needs." There's, uh, there's many passages in the Bible that says this. In particular, Hebrews 13. it says this: "Be content with what you have, because God has said, "Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you." And so say with confidence, "The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid." What can mere mortals do to me? See, God says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'm going to humble myself as Jesus to die for you, and after that I'm going to continue to humble myself and be your helper through your whole life. And when we grumble and we're discontent with what God's given us, we're saying many things, three of which are, you know what, God, you don't love me. You don't really love me. You're not going to give me what I want. You put me in this bad situation. You don't love me. Or conversely, we'll say, God, You're just weak. You'd love to help me, wouldn't you, God? But you're just simply not powerful enough to help me in my situation. It's just too bad. It's just too hard. Always saying to God, God, you're just an outright liar. You said you'd never forsake me. You said you'd never leave me. You said you'd be my helper, but you're not. And when we see it in that light, we can see that grumbling and discontent with God is actually a major, major problem. We're supposed to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling with this super God who's helping us grow. And we're saying to him, you don't love me, you're impotent, and you're a liar. Grumbling is a big deal. And so Paul calls these guys, and God calls us, don't grumble. And as a result of not grumbling, you will shine like stars in their world and also in ours. Anecdotally... Uh, when I was working outside ministry, before, before ministry, uh, I was just with some friends having dinner, and one of, the, one of my, my colleagues said to me, oh, you know what, I've noticed that you never grumble, you never swear, and you never gossip. And I said, oh. And I, just said, and I really wish I had this fantastic, you know, I should have just been prepared and said, oh, it's because, you know, God will never forsake me or leave me, and I could just, just <laughs> preach the gospel right there. But no, I was just totally lame. I just said, oh, really? Oh, that's great, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> But let me encourage you guys to, you know, if you get picked up on being Christian, uh, have some way to sort of deflect glory from yourself and point it to God. Uh, unlike me, which didn't happen. Um, but people notice because grumbling is just rife in this world, and when we don't, we stand out. Anecdotally. Okay. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, "Well, wait a minute. Are you just saying that we just cruise through life and just accept anything? Right? Is it just by a little, don't grumble, just let it be? You know, massacres are happening. Don't worry." Theft is happening, injustice is happening, people are sinning in my home, in my congregation, just let it happen. Is that what Paul is saying? No. Because if, did you notice? It said, don't grumble, as stars holding on to the word of life. We're not to grumble, but when we see injustices and stuff, we're supposed to speak God's will into it, be a part of the solution. Uh, money, support money financially, with prayers, with actions, whatever it is, we want to be involved and help fix wrongs. And also when there's things which aren't, just, which aren't particularly sinful but are just poorly done, then we're supposed to be generous and offer our time and our gifts to help it better, whether it be at home, be at work, uh, be in your schools, uh, be in church. Offer to help. Use the Word of God to direct you in how that's done and use the gifts God's given you to make the situation better without grumbling, but not just sitting back and being a passenger and just blindly accept everything, but rather help and serve in both cases. So that's how we shine in this dark world. It's one of the ways we shine in this dark world. And also at the end of all this, Paul gives you an example of how this looks like and and why this works. Last week's example was Jesus, right, who came down as as man. Next week we're going to hear an example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, two of his disciples. But today, in this passage, the example is actually Paul himself. So let's read what Paul says in 16b. It says this, and then i will be able to boast on the day of christ that i have i did not run or labor in vain but even if i am being poured out like a drink offering in the sacrifice and service coming from your faith i'm glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me you see paul paul says you no know we are in this together we're contending as one for the gospel And so therefore, the picture is you are like this this sacrifice of thanks to God and all your works and all your change are sort of on the altar and I'm I'm the the wine offering that's poured up on top of it. We're in this together. We're partners. I'm not the mighty Apostle Paul and yours are some pleb Philippians. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're doing this in partnership. And what are they in partnership doing? Well, they're they're acting as one man uh, to bring the gospel to the world. And this is the guy... He says, you know what, on the final day of judgment, I'm going to boast. But I'm not going to boast about myself. I'm going to boast about how you guys have grown so much, have changed so much as Christians over time. I'm going to boast about that. I'm going to boast about how you brought the gospel to your friends in Philippi. This is the guy who said two weeks ago that, you know what, if I'm free, I'm going to bring the love of God to people. If I'm in chains, in jail, I'm going to preach the gospel in the jail. He even said, you know what, I would rather die and go to heaven, but because... My focus is on you guys and your growth. I'm going to stay around so that I can actually encourage you and grow you, so in turn you can actually make an impact for the world. This guy is in partnership, and this guy has his focus on honouring God, growing Christians, and blessing the world with the gospel. The question for us is, and we're all busy, we've got lots of things to do, children, grandchildren, school, mortgages, jobs, the whole lot. So did Paul. But is our focus, is our joy the same as his? is at the end of the day, when all things are done, is our main thing, I want to please God. Is our main thing, I want to encourage Christians. Is our main thing bringing Jesus' gospel to our non-Christian friends. Now, how's that going to look like? Are we coming to church each week? Are we coming to church each week for a start? And when we're here, are we here to actually encourage people? Are we here to encourage them to grow in their walk, to grow as Christians? Are we encouraging them in their personal witness to those outside? Are we teaming up with other Christians to go and bring this message of God's love to the world? Are we doing that? And as our focus doesn't matter what happens to me, as long as God's kingdom progresses and people are coming to join His kingdom, is that our focus, is that our joy in life, or do we get stuck in all the sweating the small stuff? Well, today we've seen a few big things, haven't we? We've seen that they're called to to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel together as one team. And this week, they're supposed to work out, they're supposed to grow as Christians. They're supposed to shine, and in this case, they shine by not grumbling. And also, Paul has done it, and Paul encourages them to have the same joy as he had and have that same joy and the same focus as well. So will we, this week and also for the rest of our lives, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? And will we do it together, standing as one for this gospel? Well, as you've noticed, these last few weeks we've been having a little bit of a change-up for the, the sermons. We're going to have a bit of a panel come up here and we're gonna, uh, they're going to share with us uh, some thoughts they have about the passage and what impacted them, and we'll take some questions from you guys. So let me encourage uh, Don and Mel to come up.
1: There Front row seat, why Front not? Front row seat. <laughs>
0: and maybe we'll ask Mel, you read the passage during the week, um, what things jumped out at you?
1: I did, um, and I love this passage. Um, this is actually, The Shine Like Stars is actually our kids' base Bible passage. Um, and if you've ever read our vision document or kind of come into one of our classrooms, as the small details, um, we try and exemplify this passage. So our groups are named after the evolution of stars. We've got nebulae, comets, supernovas, baby sparklers, things like that. So this passage is very near and dear to my heart um, because our prayer for our kids at this church is that they would shine like stars as they grow and shine more brightly and more brightly and more brightly as they hold to the Word of Life, so I love this passage. This is I loved. I praised God when I saw I was on this week because I was like, "That's His hand right there." But there are a few things that really struck me, um, and the first one was how we actually work out our salvation. Um, and I love the phrase "with fear and trembling," and I was quite struck by that. And I dug into it a little bit, and it turns out that similar phrasing is used a bunch of times in both the Old and New Testament. Uh, whether it's kind of trembling with fear or with fear and trembling, it's used a whole bunch of times. And one that really struck me was Mark 5. And it's the story of Jesus is in a huge crowd and Jairus comes to him and says, my daughter is dying, can you please come help? And he follows him through the crowd. And a sick woman who's been bleeding for over a decade reaches out in faith to just touch his clothes. She, She so firmly believes that if she just touches him, that power would heal her. Uh, And it does. And Jesus famously turns around and says, who's touched me? And his disciples are like, dude, you're in a crowd of hundreds of people. Who knows who touched you? Does it really matter? And this woman is described to have fallen to her feet with fear. She's trembling with fear. And it's the same language that we read about in Philippians. And I was just struck by the fact that her response to the glory and the power of Christ is trembling with fear before him in his majesty, in his glory. And I wonder if that's the bit that we skip over sometimes when we hear passages like Philippians 2 and we hear work out our salvation, be obedient, do good things for our good God. But the first point that Paul goes to is we do that with fear and with trembling. And I wonder if sometimes we manage to domesticate God a little bit, uh, to, to make him smaller than he really is. And so when we see his glory as Paul has in a really tangible way, when we see the power of Christ as that woman did in Mark 5, do we tremble before his majesty and before his glory? I think being humbled by that is the only way that we then begin to work out our salvation, the only way that we can be obedient and follow him truly and passionately and with our whole hearts and our whole heads. Um, And so what I love in response to that, though, is it's not just about being fearful. It's not just about trembling. Jesus turns to that woman and says, daughter, and brings her into his family, that beautiful relational language, daughter, daughter. Go in peace. Your sins have been forgiven. And the same goes with Philippians. The glory of God, this huge, magnanimous, majestic God, is in us, is working in us, in his will in order for us to act. And so it's not just about fear. It's about partnership, which is exactly what Tom was talking about. And I just love that. Both glory and relation together, all in one. Um, but the, the other thing I was struck by, of course, was the do not grumble. Oh, man, I was floored by this passage this week. Um, and I was sitting Wednesday afternoon, nutting out what I, what I thought, what I felt, and I was so convicted. I was like, God, I hear you. I'm a grumbler. I'm a whinger. I hear you. And he, I just felt his spirit. And I went home that night, and I was just dwelling as I was making dinner. I thought, you know, God wants this. This to shape me this week. And I woke up Thursday morning and it was a disaster. <laughs> my morning was horrendous. And I got to work and we had a prayer meeting and I was like, God, you are testing me. I had dropped my coffee. My shower head had literally broken off the wall. I'd had truck, car, car trouble. And it was just one thing after another, after another. And I started to grumble. I was like, what is going on here? And the spirit struck me as I looked at my spilled coffee on the floor and thought very unsavoury words. (laughs) The spirit was like, Mel, don't grumble about anything. And so part of me just was humbled by the fact that I cannot do this without God. I am constantly grumbling about something or other. There's always something to grumble about, isn't there? And yet I was so rebuked that I'm called to be different. I'm called to when I'm given the opportunity to grumble or to whinge or to complain about something that I don't, that I refuse, that I'm different. And I love that Paul seems to find this connection between grumbling, stopping us from being like stars shining in the sky. And so there is something about that negativity, there's something about that ease to complain in our world that will prevent us from being God's people to other people. Um, and so I, wonder, I was just so challenged. I wonder whether when we are given the opportunity to kick up a fuss or to whinge or to find fault, whether we would just refuse because God calls us to do exactly that. But the one thing I keep coming back to is what I always tell our kids at Kids Church. We do it by holding on to the word of life. I wonder if we cling to... This for life. This is our life raft. This is our everything. Are we clinging to it, holding firmly to it, clutching it with everything that we have? Because this is what will help us do any of this. That was my thoughts. Thank you, Mel. Don. Don, you
0: had some thoughts?
2: Yeah, so first of all, I wanted to take issue with Tom, who um <laughs> who asked someone of so obvious English heritage. <laughs> Um, to comment on a passage to do with whinging. But I'll, I'll speak to him about that later. My reflections are a lot more personal, I have to say, and um, I, I'll offer you a couple of pieces of context before um, I offer some very short observations on my reaction to the uh, passage. T- two pieces of contextual information. The first is, um, in the course of my work, I have to absorb a lot of information um, so so i've just been at a conference i've been listening to lectures i have to read a lot of scientific papers um and you know there's a lot out there these days and i find i have i think it's a unique talent personally um of reading something hearing something and hearing only the things i want to hear (laughs) um i say i think it's a unique talent my colleagues find it intensely irritating that whatever they say to me I only hear the things that I wanted to hear, and I guess I approached this passage in the same sort of way. The second thing to say is that uh, also in the course of my work over uh, many decades now, I I work in public health. And um, certainly in the earlier part of my career, uh, I did a lot of work with the World Health Organization that took me to some really tough places. Um, Some that stick in my memory are the the world's largest slum in Kenya, in, um, in Nairobi. I also spent time in Soweto, in uh, near Johannesburg, in the apartheid era. Um, uh, I've also spent some time in the slums uh, outside of Manila. Um, uh, these are incredibly tough, confronting environments um, that, that make you think profoundly about the world. Um, uh, and I should emphasize, um, I was just drop in, drop out. Um, I wasn't a frontline worker. My roles were mostly in providing advice and training, and um, I always knew I was going to be bailing out quite soon and back to my comfortable life, either here or uh, or in the UK. But um, in, in the course of that, you come to appreciate what an extraordinary divided world we live in. Um, you come to understand that these are people who have nothing of the things that we would honestly take for granted every day of the week. They don't have clean water, they don't have adequate sanitation, uh, they don't have uh, food security, they don't have decent shelter, no heating, um, uh, no access to health care, no access to education. And yet, you find some of the most extraordinary and inspiring people you'll ever wish to meet, both living there and working alongside uh, the people that live in these environments. Some of them are Christian, some are not. Um, Among the Christians I've met, of course, you find people whose faith absolutely sustains them, gives them hope and a sense of purpose in life in these most profound, I can't describe how unimaginably challenging um, these sorts of uh, environments are. Uh, And so what I read into the passage, um, uh, because as I say, I read things and um, uh, take out of them those things that I already had in place anyway. Uh, What I read from uh, from this passage is um, we should seriously thank God every day Hmm. for the lives that we're able to live. Uh, We have no excuse, honestly, for whinging and moaning. Um, And when we feel we have a reason to whinge and moan, really we should put it into perspective uh, and certainly, uh, speaking as someone of a sunny disposition who never complains about anything, <laughs> um, I must say I did a quick reality check with my family who definitely put me back in my place. Um, uh, honestly, we, we, really, we really do have every reason to thank God every day uh, for our lives and the way we're able to, uh, to, to live our lives. What I particularly took away from the passage, though, for someone like myself, um, is that I don't really actively celebrate that. Uh, I am grateful for every day, uh, but I don't know that I'm a public Christian to the extent that I could be. I have, a, uh, in my own little universe, uh, something of a public profile, uh, and I don't know that often enough, um, and I don't know that enough people know that I'm a Christian. It was a reminder to me uh, to be more public in celebrating uh, my Christianity and to be more... Um, humble in understanding my uh, the, the uh, enormous privileges that I feel I have um, uh, in my life, and so I took away from the from this three very simple messages. I think um, the first uh, was to stop moaning. Uh, the second was to be more public in my celebration of what it's like to be a Christian, uh, and the third was perhaps to be a bit more private. Um, in uh, and be the uh, third was to be more generous uh, and to be more private about being generous. Mm. Okay. Great, thank you, Don. Then Nell.
1: Yeah. Wow,
0: I love this series. How good to see inside each other's minds
1: and lives and benefit from multiple sources of wisdom Uh, you have access to those now in your questions so if you um, would like to ask a question of these guys um, put your hand up and i'll bring you the microphone and you can ask them a question mine is not a question it's just uh, something that i've found helpful the opposite to grumbling and complaining is praising there is tremendous power in praise and if you're having a rotten day thank you lord that i know it's got to get better you know, I find it praising and thinking of all the ways He's blessed us beyond our wildest dreams, and He's got so much more coming.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very helpful. Um, when we grumble, it blocks us appreciating God.
3: Yeah. Mm, very good. Um, this is a, just a quick comment in support to uh, what Don has just said. Uh, Ireland, I just came back from uh, parts of Africa, and one of the countries we just visited was Zimbabwe. And I would encourage people in church, from based on what I saw, uh, what we saw, um, to support small things. Um, Don said about something about public health. Um, from what we saw, um, we would encourage people to support things like World Vision, that children sign up for a uh, child in Compassion Australia or World Vision, support a kid to put them through education in, when, they, when they're young. We went to visit a school as part of the, uh, you know, we just drove by, we went, dropped in school, had a look. Uh, we saw people in <clears throat> year ten. Um, they didn't have toilets. They had a hole in the ground. And, I mean, it's just amazing. It's um, so, Eileen um, and I, our family, have supported children in the past, and we continue to do that. And I didn't connect, you know, what we, what, what that little, little bit that we can do as Christians. Small, but I think it's a good start if you can support a child through World Vision, Compassion, or any other organizations. Um, bring them through when they're primary school or the young kids through, through, the, through the primary school. I think that would be a worthwhile uh, effort as Christians. And, and that's an example of working out our salvation, an example of, uh, of living as, as a Christian, make a difference in life where we are.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. Um, I think and, and on top of that, um, t- t- a lot of the Compassion ones, and I think World Vision as well, they write you letters and they give you profiles. Uh, it's good to, to give money, but sometimes we direct debit it and we just forget. Mm. Um, it's, they really love it when they get letters from us. So make sure you write, make sure you read and pray for them, and that, that will just get you into their world. Yeah.
2: Hi, thanks for those uh, fabulous reflections. I'm just wondering if, I, I felt like everything that's been said this morning is uh, countercultural, mm-hmm. Um And I was just wondering, I don't I haven't met too many people who are doing anything trembling. I've never felt, I've never talked to anyone who says I'm terrified that if I don't fix this or do this or whatever. And I've never met any, and, and why do you, we, th- I was just wondering on your comments on why you think grumbling and complaining is so much part of our culture and so much part of, gosh, we so identify with every one of you um, in terms of that, so yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: I think it's partly because grumbling's easier than anything else. Um, I think it's easy to see the bad. Um, it's easy to see the bad in our worlds, in ourselves, in our peers, in our homes. Um, and often the bad is more easily gone to, I think. Um, and I wonder if there's also something about um, grumbling that almost unites us. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience I've had where you meet up for someone with someone for coffee and an hour later you realise all you've done is whinge about your family or your friends or your work or your life and you leave feeling like you've got that off your chest but not that you've actually spent any time stepping beyond what we're whinging about. Um, And so I think, unfortunately, whinging together unites us in a really unhelpful way but in a very um, efficient way. Um, And I think we as Christians tend to forget that the better way to unify us is to praise and in thanksgiving, uh, and in sharing honestly, but also pointing one another to the goodness of God as well. Um, and so you're right; it's so countercultural. It's unbelievably countercultural, and that's why it's so difficult. I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to um, distinguish between different types of grumbling, mm. um, in the sense that um, I whinge and moan a lot about a lot of things that are out of self-interest. Um, uh, but um, I'm going to reserve the right to complain about our leaders and our politicians, uh, people who set themselves up to lead us and then fail to do so. Uh, I mean, I think there, are, there is righteous grumbling, um, I, I, I posit, um, and there is self-serving grumbling, which I think we could do well to eliminate, but I, I'll look to the guidance of our <laughs> minister uh, on yeah. that, but that's my sense of it. Yeah, no,
0: so the Bible does tell us to be discerning, so we're not just supposed to say, yeah, everyone's fine, we need to be, oh, that leader, that leader, myself, uh, is not doing the right thing here, but they're doing the right thing here, and sort of to praise and also to discern and to... to Judge, not as in put down, but judges in discern what people are doing.
1: And um, you look through the Psalms and you yeah. see people constantly crying out to God um, with this heartfelt yeah. brokenness. Um, now, would I call that kind of whinging and grumbling? No, that's calling out to God in our brokenness. But the beauty of the Psalms is that it also always pivots. There's always a pivot. Uh, and there's always that sense of God being there and the character of God. So you're right, there's, um, there's grumbles... And then there's crying out. And I think we can distinguish the two. But what we're called to do is not grumble about anything. Yeah.
0: And just like one more comment on that one. I think the, the fear and trembling, the picture kind of like is like a graduate who goes to work and the CEO sort of stands behind him and just watches him work, right? So he's like, you know, I can do it and you know, the CEO will help me. But what I'm not going to do is start flicking on YouTubes and like acting like I don't care because, you know, God's, and the picture here is God is working in us, so we can't just not care. You know, the God of the universe who cares about righteousness is in us, working with us. So we need to work as well.
2: Hi, I'm Mel.
1: I just want to Hi. carry that sentiment forwards. I think that it is very dangerous to always confuse people crying out for help as crumbling, mm. because then we will be all coming into church pretending that we are all okay, but Absolutely. we are not. Mm, yeah, and I, that's a big passion of mine, especially. Um, spending so much time with a lot of your children, um, it's very dangerous for us to assume when we come to church, everything's good and everyone's good and our week has been flawless and we're all doing super well. Um, but there is a huge difference between asking for help and whinging um, because asking for help is, is crying out to our good God who delights in answering our prayers. Um, and we, we should do that daily daily. Um, But I think, yeah, there's a significant difference between whinging and leaving that as a whinge and coming to God with our brokenness, with our flaws. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that was an important one. Thanks. Last one. Hello. I'm just a bit stuck on the the idea of working out our salvation, that maths, that it's 100% us Mm. and 100% God. I get 100% God and I thought the longer I'm a Christian do I realise more and more, oh, that's God's business and that's God's business and that's God's... Because I thought so much more was my mm. responsibility. Yes. So the idea of 100% me, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd love to hear more about yeah. that. Thank you.
0: So I think the, hundred, the, the Bible at many times calls us to repentance and calls us to uh, grow in excellent things. And so that work, it's, it's a command to us to do. And so the, the flip side, I guess is that if we don't do that work, if we just say, it's all God, then what I would do, <laughs> and that's what I'm tempted to do all the time, is say, fine, um, I'm just going to do nothing because the Holy Spirit at some point is going to prompt me to do this stuff and change my life for me. And yes, he's the powerful one that's going to do it, but there's so much in the Bible that calls me to actually repent, for me to change, that I can't just say, no, nah, it's, all, it's all him. Uh, ultimately, the glory goes to him, but on the other hand, the effort has to still be mine and the power also is his. Does make sense? Otherwise, um, we end up in this thing called anti, uh, anti-law. We think we don't need to law because just wait for the Holy Spirit to prompt us. And there's calls to read the Bible, understand what God wants, do it. And then the Holy Spirit also acts. Yeah, Does that help? Yeah, that's a hard one. We, there's a book yeah. called Crazy Love written by um, a guy called Francis Chan who confronts my Christianity every time I listen to anything he says. And he says, actually, in the Western church, we default to waiting too much. That actually we're just called to love justice, um, to act justly and love mercy, um, and we often sit back in the hundred percent God mode and just think, "I'll just wait for a prompting or wait for God's word."
2: Actually, we're not meant to wait. We're meant to act justly and love mercy. Um, so perhaps that's helpful. Hmm.